Hey, want to take a walk on the wild side and experience the bleeding edge of technology? Then get ready because it doesn't get much more edgy than this. You're in for a wild ride. You're listening to Sovereign Tech with your host, the man in triple black, the golden stallion of the tech world, Brian Sovereign. He's got a huge brain. And now, here's Brian. Put it on my diamond bezel, because you're messing with the devil. Oh, yes. The golden stallion of the tech world here with you. The libertine-in-chief, as I've been called. (laughs) I love that. That's that's such a classic name. Um, Anyway, this is part of what you're listening to right now. This is, obviously, every episode of Sovereign Tech is pre-recorded. But this one in particular is it's it's recorded ahead of time because i'm going away for oh boy about a week the lovely and hyper intelligent dr stephanie murphy and i will be gone for for a bit of time uh two conferences to hit we've got the inside bitcoin conference in new york city uh my uh my lizard skin always seems to kind of come out whenever i end up back in the back in the big city there uh, just <laughs> just kidding um kind of and uh, you know, so that'll, that'll be a great time looking, looking forward to, well, I don't know if it's going to be a great time. Last time I went to an inside Bitcoins conference, it was a, it was a fucking mess. Um, but you know, it might, might be a good time. It'll be a good time with Stephanie anyway. I'm sure of that. Uh, and so I'll be going to that. Uh, I will do a wrap up show for that. Both Stephanie and I will do a wrap up show for that conference. And then we're going to, this is one that I know is going to be a great time. And that is the Toronto Bitcoin Expo. Uh, that the Bitcoin Alliance of Canada is putting on. Uh, I cannot wait for that. And when you hear this, please take the time. You know, I mean, there's still time to go to this to, to well, to either of these, but there's still there's still time to go to the the the, the Bitcoin uh, Expo. This is going to be amazing. Great lineup of speakers, myself included, as well as the lovely and hyper intelligent Dr. Stephanie Murphy. Um, you know what? Real challenge, real quick challenge. Uh, my listeners, the Sovereignati, have come up with really, really great uh, names for me in the past. And I wonder if, if I, my challenge to you is maybe we can come up with another name for Stephanie. Uh, you know, I love the lovely and hyper intelligent Dr. Stephanie Murphy, but maybe we can come up with something new. We'll start using that, too. Uh, anyway, so I'll be in Toronto again. It looks like it's just going to be a fantastic fantastic time all being put on by the bitcoin community i cannot wait for that so that said this is episode 68 next week is episode 69 i'm going to try and upload that episode i'm recording it ahead of time i'm going to try it but i'm going to try and upload that episode from toronto that way there's no confusion and usually what i'll do is i'll do a triple load and i have to have one episode out a week so what i'll do is when i go away to make sure it gets up i'll put one episode up on saturday which is the usual release day and then i'll put another one up on sunday the next day that way that gets you know that that way i'm I'm making my my contract to have one episode a week up but in this case i'm actually going to hold off and i'll probably release episode 69 oh yes uh on (laughs) on friday uh, uh coming up so that'll be that'll be interesting and i'm gonna have the lovely and hyper intelligent dr stephanie murphy on for episode 69 you better believe it uh, so that should be out on April 11th. Um, I'll, I'll plan for that. Anyway, 
uh, enough of that. Let, let's get into our rapid fire stories. Uh, and, and of course, of course, real quick t-shirt thing still going on, still working on that. So keep your eyes peeled for, for news about that. Um, and also, you know, as for the rapid fire stories, I am really excited about what's going on with Aurora coin in Iceland. And I did just start accepting Aurora coin on this show. Uh, so if you want to donate to the show, uh, that that's, that's quite a few coins we're accepting now. Uh, that, so Aurora coin NXT or next name coin, uh, which I did get a donation in name coin. I believe really thank the listener for that. Fantastic. Thank you. Um, bit shares, Litecoins, bitcoins, you know, and it really, if there's other ways you want to donate to the show, send me an email and I'll get something set up for that. Sovereign tech at riseup.net. Uh, and of course, PayPal, I do accept, uh, FRNs for the moment while governments still exist, which probably won't be much longer, but so for a limited time, I, I do accept PayPal. Uh, anyway. Yeah. So, so really it looks like Aurora coin is getting some degree of acceptance and there's, uh, you know, other countries are starting to do, to do this, uh, on sex and science hour, which is another show that I co-host on, uh, with Stephanie, um, we talked about Isra coin, which is a coin in Israel uh, that's coming out, not by the Israeli government, by but by the Israeli people. And I think that's I, I actually I support a lot of this regional gateway cryptocurrency drugs, essentially. Uh, that's what I like to think of them as. I, I think it's a fantastic thing. In fact, a part of me really wants the Free State Project. In fact, a guy, Ron Helwig, wrote up a, a pretty good article about this, um, who I think he's behind Shire Silver. And I think he was saying something to the effect that like really a lot of regional areas should, should jump on this, on this idea. And I, I think I kind of agree. I mean, granted, you know, would, would Bitcoin or maybe, you know, NXT win in the end? Sure. You know, everybody's just going to kind of like, like, you know, dump these regional currencies to that point. Eventually I, I could see that happening, but, uh, but I think it's, it's a good, a good start. Um, you know, kind of like, uh, I mean, this has been tried before with like Ithaca hours. Of course, that's not a very sound economic money. I'm not claiming that it's a good idea. I'm just saying it's been tried before, even before there was an internet. Um, so, you know, I'm okay with this. And I, I really, I wouldn't mind if the Free State Project came up with its own coin. Uh, I'd love it if it were something a little more original than, you know, just being basing it, basing it on script or, you know, basing it on the Bitcoin client or whatever, but that's okay. I just, I, you know, I, I think it's a clever idea and, and I wouldn't mind seeing it happen. Um, anyway, uh, other news, uh, Google has applied for a patent on multi-sensor contact lenses. Now I've mentioned before, uh, on this show to watch, there's a short film out there. It's on YouTube on Vimeo called Sight which has to do with uh, essentially a Google Glass uh, incarnation as, as, a, as contact lenses. Now, this isn't exactly the, what, what, what gets done in sight. And, you know, even comparing it to Google Glass is not what Google has in mind here with these multi-sensor contact lenses. What, what these contact lenses, what they patented, you know, and they're not, they didn't get the patent. They just applied for it so far. And what that patent that applied for was for was to like track blinking and position of the eye. So there's not actually anything, that, you know, there's no HUD. There's no, you're not going to see, there's no projection. There's no AR, you know, no augmented reality from these contact lenses. They're merely designed to, um, you know, just, just like track blinks and track your eye movement that way. Now, obviously those are designed to control devices, your blinks, like you could blink twice or three times and that would maybe 
make Google Glass take a picture or something like that. So it's a control mechanism, not not something that actually, uh, you know, it wouldn't be like more like an actual device. Uh, so not as scary as what they showed off in sight, but obviously Google Glass is intrigued by this. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know how a part of me is a little annoyed by the, um, uh, you know, eye control. I don't feel that that's very natural. Like smartphones took off so well. And Steve Jobs pointed this out quite a bit, but smartphones took off so well because, you know, using your hands to control things. That's what hands evolved to do <laughs> is to manipulate things. Okay. Uh, and your eyes didn't really do that. So I think this is kind of, I, I don't know, m maybe they have in mind some more natural movements. I mean, a blink is a natural movement. Sure. But like a, a controlled blink for a purpose, I just, you know, something about it doesn't, doesn't feel very natural. And for, for market penetration, for something to take over in the market, really quickly it's got to be it's got to have that natural flow like it's got to feel like oh i've always done this that's how smartphones became so popular you know and tablets uh so quickly you know inside inside well inside of a decade maybe i i dare say five was inside five years you know the mass adoption of it even in you know uh less technologically developed areas of the world comes from the fact that it's just so natural to manipulate things with your hands uh and so I, I don't see this as, as something that may take off. But again, it's just a patent. Doesn't mean they're ever going to do anything with it. Um, also, this is this is exciting news. There, there's a what's getting developed is USB 3.1 C. And what this is is uh, like you know your your micro. If you look at the bottom of like your Android smartphone, okay, you have the micro USB uh, type that there. It's going to be that it's going to offer the same, the same, actually a little bit greater speeds than what USB three offers right now, but it's not going to have that big standard USB, uh, you know, uh, adapter at the end. And it's just going to be that, that small slim line and it's going to be a universal to some degree. So maybe it's going to change it a little bit, but it's going to be about the size of micro USB, but it's going to be universal to where you can, you know, you can put it in the hole any direction and uh, and you'll get you'll get an, a reaction out of whatever device you you put it into. <laughs> uh, so USB 3.1 C, I kind of hope that 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 works. Uh, I'm I'm intrigued by by the idea uh, that that you can universally plug it in any direction because that's what a lot of a lot of people. It's a small thing, but a lot of people do complain about when you go to plug in a USB device. Okay, which direction do I plug it in? You know, and it takes what less than a second to realize. Oh, wrong way. Um, but you know, anything to help out with flow, right? Like we were talking about with manipulating with your hands, uh, you know, helps with adoption and you'll just find people will, will want it just because it makes everything easier. And of course, you know, greater speeds. I'm, I'm all for that. I think that's fantastic that USB might be able to really get to the point to where we could even have, and I'm excited about this. I'd love for this to be able to, to be, to exist someday with USB is USB video cards. As in you take a GTX, you know, whatever, 800, and you, you plug that, you know, you plug it in through USB and any device you have suddenly has the power of a GTX 800, uh, you know, video card. I, I've been dying for that day for talk about a decade. Yeah, a decade. Uh, I really, really hope that that happens someday. We get speeds to that level may not happen, but I wouldn't mind uh, <laughs> if it, if it did. I think that's an exciting prospect. 
So anyway, uh, let's get into our main. Oh, one last rapid fire story that's going to lead into our main story. And that is that you got to find the APK for this. Okay. I'll maybe I'll link to it in the show notes. Um, fire chat, which I, it was uh, software of the week. I think, uh, last, last episode, uh, fire chat, a messaging app that allows that, that works without internet, without, without a data connection from your, uh, you know, from whatever ISP or from, from sprint, you know, whatever provider, um, fire chat is now available for Android. As far as I know, as of me recording this, it is not in the Google play store, but you can grab the APK and boy, you are in for a wild, wild time. Uh, I finally got to test it out. I actually did it for software of the week without testing it. Cause I don't have an iOS device. Um, but I finally got to test it. It works. It works really well. Uh, and the, <laughs> I went into the everyone room or what's been called the global chat room. And, uh, I don't know, Rush Limbaugh or someone must've talked about it. Uh, and maybe it's because of our lead story this week, but there was a lot of conservatives in there. So some, some guy in there, his name is Guyver six. I can't imagine who that was. Obviously they have great taste if they love Guyver. I know it's my favorite anime, but I don't know who this guy was, but he's just started spewing out like, uh, things like, you know, science proves that, that humans are designed to have orgies. Uh, and you know, then he started talking about, um, I mean, just, just all kinds of crazy sexual stuff. So, you, you know, and it's totally anonymous. Uh, again, I have no idea who this guy or six guy is. I mean, who, who could that be? Um, and, uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it was, it was, it was, it was pretty, pretty wild stuff. Uh, and so uh, check it out. Like I said, I'll, maybe I'll put the link in the show notes to the APK and you can, you can download it. Uh, I, I guarantee that the APK is solid. I ran it through lookout and Sophos. It's, it's fine. Um, anyway, uh, this week, this is from uh, techinasia.com, and it's, uh, this actually, this story was, uh, was forwarded to me by, by a listener, but I've got another one from a listener from tech roulette. So you're getting kind of a double tech roulette, which is good because next week's episode, episode 69 is we're going to skip tech roulette. So I'm kind of doing a double tech roulette here this week. And this one's actually from, uh, from Paige Peterson, um, who maybe I can have her as a guest on the show at some point. Uh, anyway, over a week ago, or the, the title of the story is unlockable, unstoppable fire chat messaging app, unites China and Taiwan in free speech. And it's not pretty. Hmm. Over a week ago, messaging app for the iPhone called FireChat launched and quickly attracted attention from the international tech media. Created by Open Garden, a team of developers based out of San Francisco, the app lets users engage in anonymous group messaging by leveraging iOS 7's multi-peer connectivity framework, which allows iPhone users to connect with each other, not just via Wi-Fi, but through peer-to-peer connections and Bluetooth. The app attained rapid traction around the world, likely the result, uh, the result widespread media coverage and strong novelty pull chat without the Internet. But it's taken on a greater sense of urgency in the Chinese speaking world, specifically in Taiwan, where it shot to the top of the app store's social networking charts over the weekend, surpassing reigning chat king line. That's the name of an app line. Surpassing Line's App Store rankings in Taiwan is no small feat, especially considering FireChat went live only 11 days ago, as of this this writing, um, with over 17 million registered users within a population of about 23 million people. Line likely has its strongest market penetration in Taiwan. It even has its own museum exhibition in Taipei. 
it's it's a pretty impressive app. Uh, so, but you know, and I love market penetration. Um, how did this little-known app come to take over Taiwan, and what does its rapid rise in the island imply about its future? Uh, what does FireChat look like from a practical standpoint? Before we go right into how and why Taiwan residents are using FireChat, let's briefly explain what FireChat looks like from a practical standpoint in its current iteration. The FireChat of March 2014 basically consists of two group messaging nodes inside a single app. The first mode is accessible under a tab titled Everyone, and it's more or less a circus where users are free to blabber on to anonymous strangers without the guidance of a moderator. Users are placed in a chat room based on their geographic region, which is determined by a special algorithm. Each everyone group is is capped at 80 members, so there are likely a number of parallel chats going on in the various regions at any given time. It's worth noting right now that the algorithm doesn't always separate regions by country. Canada and the U.S. are classified as the same region, so folks from Vancouver can message New Yorkers in everyone mode. And this is pretty important, the everyone mode, like, you know, again, it's capped at 80 people. So your everyone mode on your eye on, you know, on your iPhone could be different than on your Android device. Uh, you know, you could see different people and there could be a different conversation. So you like that guy for six guy, you might not find him, uh, you know, in your chat room unless, you know, you lived around where he lives, which I can't imagine. He's a pretty free thinking guy. I'm guessing he's in the free state project, but I don't know. Anyway, uh, in addition to everyone mode, FireChat offers a nearby mode. In this mode, iPhone users with FireChat installed can uh, can connect to other FireChat users, not only via Wi-Fi, but via Bluetooth or peer-to-peer networks using Apple's multi-peer connectivity framework. Again, this is now on Android as well. The addition of the latter two forms of connectivity limits each user's chat range to about 100 feet at maximum. As a result, if you're alone in the apartment or working on a side street, chances are pretty high that you'll be alone if you check into nearby mode. Nevertheless, FireChat's nearby mode is what gets tech enthusiasts excited. As the technology grows more robust, connectivity ranges will increase. As a result, over time, mobile phone users can potentially connect to one another without remaining at the mercy of an internet connection. Furthermore, while the nearby chat room, like the Everyone tab, is still a messy group chat, it's possible Open Garden might roll out person-to-person chat in the future. Or even further in the future, a single device connected to the internet might provide all nearby devices uh, access to the internet, even if said nearby devices aren't themselves connected to a Wi-Fi network. So how is this relevant to Taiwan? Since it's basically just an anonymous group messaging app in its current iteration, FireChat remains quite rudimentary right now. As a result, upon its launch, most English language coverage of FireChat tended to focus on hypothetical use cases for the present. This could be a could be cool at a conference where there's lousy Wi-Fi. Or in the future, this could be useful in five years from now if you're lost in the woods and need to call for help. But Taiwan iPhone owners didn't have to wait for an excuse before downloading FireChat. The perfect opportunity had already arrived. Over the past several weeks, students and citizens have been protesting inside and surrounding the island's legislative yuan, uh, that's like their parliament, voicing opposition to agreement that would loosen trade restrictions with China. Uh, And that was passed without undergoing due process in the legislature, by the way. Uh, This student... Movement has been dubbed the Sunflower Movement by domestic media and has since been adopted by the movement itself. As an anonymous group messaging app that's not reliant on Internet connectivity, FireChat, in theory, makes an excellent tool for communicating during a political rally, especially one that might get dangerous. Um Tech Orange, a leading tech blog in Taiwan, caught on to FireChat's potential quickly. On March 24th, a piece appeared in the site's front page with the headline, Before Heading to the Legislative Yuan, in case... 
uh, Ma Yingzhou, that's the president in Taiwan, cuts off Internet access, download FireChat to stay connected. In addition, whereas most international coverage of FireChat featured a cute screenshot from Open Garden's press kit illustrating how the app could be useful at a chummy bonfire, TechOrange posted a screenshot from Everyone Mode showing protesters mobilizing on one another. Uh, according to metrics at the top of the post, the, the article has received over 25,000 shares on social media since its publication. So this is a popular story. And like maybe that's how Limbaugh or some conservative guy got, a, got his hands on it. Uh, and here's an update um, from April. Uh, one reader has written in noting that Taiwan authorities would be unlikely to shut down Internet access as a result of the protests. And we agree a more likely scenario that could cause Internet access to malfunction would be saturated phone networks due to high activity at the site of the demonstrations. As a result, it's worth noting that the piece contained uh, some overzealous sentiment. Uh, whatever. I, I think I think this is this is fantastic. I'm going to skip ahead a little bit here. Um. Christopher De, uh, Delgalt, Christoph Delgalt of Open Garden tells Tech in Asia that his team launched FireChat as a mere proof of concept app meant to be admired, if not actually used regularly. We thought the use cases would be people going to concerts or clubs or sports events and maybe other festivals where you may not have good connectivity, says Delgalt. Uh, Delgalt, I think I'm pronouncing that wrong. I'm so sorry. Uh, now we're seeing people take it into their own hands and do more. Has FireChat really done more for the Sunflower Movement? Thus, thus far, no. When it comes to political mobilization, both nearby and everyone mode are all talk and no walk. But even so, if we view FireChat through a proof of concept concept lens, the app's rocket adoption in Taiwan proves the concept 10 times over. Want to stay connected in case the government shuts down the Internet access? Uh, you know, nearby mode can help. Meanwhile, the cross-strait debates that emerged on everyone mode in greater China reminds us how powerful FireChat's technology could grow in the future. As we mentioned before, everyone mode relies on traditional wireless connectivity, but not Bluetooth or peer-to-peer -peer connections. So why does everyone mode exist in the first place? It's a symbol of what nearby mode could turn into. Delegalt describes the overarching implications of Open Garden's technology in FireChat as follows. Technology moves very fast. In two years from now, the range of Bluetooth and peer-to-peer -peer connectivity will be several, several hundred feet. And the second thing is that the devices will multi-hub, meaning that they have two devices that are within range, and a third one might appear within a range for device one, but not for device two, while the third one can communicate back and forth to device two using device one as the hub. In areas where you have enough density, you're basically creating a whole different type of network. It doesn't require Internet or cellular coverage. It's not managed centrally by anyone, and it's completely resilient and self-healing. That basically creates a network that is not controlled or managed by anyone. It's just the devices that recognize each other and establish an ad hoc network uh, on the fly, which is something that no government or authority would be able to control or shut down. And that is the beauty of it right there. No government can control it or shut it down. This is exciting. We are circumventing every centralized form of communication out there with little apps, just little, quote unquote, little apps like FireChat. And that is so exciting. And it's happening in parts of the world where it's really necessary, like Taiwan in China. I want you to check out FireChat if you haven't. Just for the proof of concept, just to get a, a grasp of how this goes. This is incredible, incredible new technology to be looking into. It can help with protesters, political rallies, all this stuff. Even if it doesn't work right now, it may work soon. The future, the technology, has solved the problem once again. Hey, look! Got an energy spike. Hold on!
launch. Bombing the Narn back to the Stone Age wasn't enough for you? Then we heard it. The sound of something terrible being born. This is madness! Station 3 to Commander Ivanova. Centauri have launched a full-scale assault. The time is coming gone! It's our turn now! Two million tons of spinning metal, all alone in the night. A world where empires rise and fall. Where dreams are born and die. Where war and hatred are challenged by love and faith. In the third age of mankind, an age plagued by an evil empire that seeks to destroy humanity. It is our last, best hope for peace, for victory, for freedom. It is Babylon 5. Babylon 5 is available for download on your favorite torrent site. See it now to experience the greatest show in television history. Babylon 5. Tech Roulette. Want to play? Oh, it is time for Tech Roulette, and I always want to play. And boy, (laughs) I mean, of course, Tech Roulette is where I take shows that get sent to me through various social media, uh, Google Plus, Twitter, you know, you name it, you can find it. Uh, If you go to SovereignTech.com, look to the left side of the screen and you'll find all the links you need to get in touch with me, including the email address SovereignTech at RiseUp.net. And, uh, you know, you you can get in touch with me through that um, and send me stories and lots of great stories coming in. I am so thankful for that. Uh, But and and you know, like the last story, what a great story. What a great technology. Look at this. We got MadeSafe. We did. We did MadeSafe uh, as a special. And boy, if you haven't heard that yet, get, you want to hear the future, baby. Go check out that MadeSafe special at SovereignTech.com. Um, so we have MadeSafe. We've got like uh, mesh networking, like Open Garden. We've got Open Garden, which developed FireChat, which allows for communications without central control, without even needing cellular service from Verizon or AT&T. Okay. Uh, I mean, all this stuff. We're just, we're just, <laughs> it doesn't matter how good the government is at what they do. We're just walking right around them. We're practically walking through them with technology. And it really is setting us free. It is so exciting to read these things and to see these things happening, even in proof of concept form. That's the point, though, is that the proof of con- their POC, the proof of concept, we get to see, oh, ha, you know, because that's where ideas come from is from someone just saying, you know, what if we tried this? And then look what happens. Oh, I love it. I love it. You can read the, there's a whole lot more to that story, which shows, you know, maybe the, the slight problems, of course, um, that 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 are ahead of us in in using apps like FireChat. But go to SevenTech.com, go to the show notes and you can read more about it there. Um, I want to move on, though, as exciting that as that is. And this is something else that maybe kind of excites me. And I want to preface this article. OK, and the article is it's from Alternet and it's why Americans are losing their religion at a startling rate. And this actually comes from a, a good friend of mine, Skyler, a uh, great guy. And, um, you know, I want to preface it with this. Look, OK, I I am an atheist. OK, I have religious listeners of the show or spirit, you know, uh, listeners that are spiritual, whatever phrase they want to use. OK, you know, you can skip this segment if you want, but I want to talk about this. Okay. And you know, my, for my, for my own, I'm just going to share real quick for my own opinion. Uh, atheism is part and parcel of anarchism because anarchism's, you know, central tenant is no gods, no masters. Okay. And if, 
you know, if, 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 athe- if, if there's a God controlling everything that I have to appease, anarchism doesn't really exist. Okay. Because there, because in that case, there is a master. Um, and so, you know, I want to read about this, but I'm just giving you upfront my opinion on the matter. And this is sovereign tech where I talk about opinions, some of which people may not exactly like, but you can skip this or you can just appreciate where I'm coming from. You can email me and share where you're coming from if you want. And I, I will talk about it. Okay. I'm open to talking about that. I'm a very, very knowledgeable guy as far as religions go. Uh, I mean, I, I'm a really knowledgeable guy as far as religions go. And I was a staunch, you know, for, for a while I was a staunch Jew. I mean, I'm still ethnically Jewish, but you know, I was in the religion and I was, you know, I very much believing in it. Uh, I was uh, equally staunch Christian when I was a Christian. Okay. I I've run the gamut pretty good in the religion, in the religion game. So anyway, I want to read this story. I just want you to know where I'm going to be coming from. And I am going to talk about that position and I'm probably going to end up defending it a bit or not defending it, but just stating it as fact. So anyway, let's read on Um, why Americans are losing their religion at a startling rate. New research from Alan Downey, a computer scientist at Olin College of Engineering in Massachusetts, shows a startling correlation between the rise of the Internet and the decline of religious affiliation in the United States. According to MIT Technology Review, back in 1990, only 8 percent of the U.S. population did not have a religious affiliation. Twenty years later, in 2010, that number was up to 18 percent. That is a jump of 25 million people. Americans seem to be losing their religion. And from Downey's research, we may have an answer. The data Downey looked at is from the General Social Survey, which, according to MIT Technology Review, is a widely respected sociological survey carried out by the University of Chicago. Since 1972, the survey has been measuring the population's demographics and attitudes. The approach to looking at the survey material was to see how socioeconomic status, education, religion, upbringing, and other factors correlated with the drop in religious affiliation. This is a good time to talk about the difference between correlation and causation. The data from the survey shows a relationship between these factors and decreased religious affiliation, but not direct causation. Downey's findings show that religious upbringing is the largest influence on religious affiliation. However, a drop in religious upbringing starting in 1990 does not account for the entire drop of religious affiliation. According to the analysis, religious upbringing was important, but only uh, explicated 25% of the drop. Higher education at the college level uh, also has a relationship with the drop in the drop in religiosity. But the study shows that the rate that rates of the college education from 1980s to 2000s only went up a little under 10 percent. Statistically, this can only account for 5 percent of the drop. The Internet, if you can believe it, has a much higher correlation than college education. According to the study, Internet use went from near zero percent in the 1980s to 53 percent of the population spending up to two hours a week online in the 2000s. MIT Technology Review reports this increase closely matches the decrease in religious affiliation. In fact, Downey calculates that it can account for about 25% of the drop. That's huge. 25%, the same percent correlation as religious upbringing. And while this is only a correlation, X might cause Y, Y might cause X, W and X might cause Y, etc. And not direct causation, X causes Y. Downey says correlation does provide evidence in favor of causation, especially when we can eliminate alternative explanations or have reason to believe that they are less likely. The way to eliminate the why may be causing X possibility is looking at the inverse. 
from MIT Technology Review. For example, it's easy to imagine that a religious upbringing causes religious affiliation later in life. However, it's impossible for the correlation to work the other way around. Religious, religious affiliation later in life cannot cause a religious upbringing, although it may color a person's view of their upbringing. It's also straightforward to imagine how spending time on the Internet can lead to religious disaffiliation. For people living in homogeneous, uh, homogeneous communities, the Internet provides opportunities to find information about people of other religions and none and to interact with them personally, says Downey. Conversely, it is harder but not impossible to imagine plausible reasons why disaffiliation might cause increased Internet use. Of course, we still have to contend with Y and with W and X causing Y or a third factor that is causing both increased Internet use and decreased religious affiliation. Thus far, however, Downey has controlled most of the possible factors, including income, environment, socioeconomic status, etc., um, you know, again, if you are, uh, well, let me, let me read the last paragraph here. This still leaves us with nearly half of why religious affiliation is dropping in the United States unknown one quarter going to religious upbringing, the other to the internet and a small portion to higher education. A factor that was ruled out is date of birth because that cannot alone cause why you are or are not religious. So what could this mystery factor be? If it's not, you know, of course, if it's not Internet use um, again, if you are religious or you consider yourself spiritual, OK, please try not to take offense, you know, to, to what I'm saying. It's OK. You know, I'm far more interested in a person's attitude than per se, maybe, you know, their 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 thoughts on things, how they treat other people. OK, is you know, how I, how I gauge an interaction with a person more so than what they actually think. Does that make sense to you? Okay. Um, so anyway, uh, this is, this is pretty interesting. In fact, uh, you know, the, the lovely and hyper-intelligent Dr. Stephanie Murphy, when I think it was the first time when she was a guest on this show and she's been multiple times. And remember, I'm going to try and have her on for episode 69. Woo. Uh, <laughs> she stated that the internet is really what brought her to Liberty, brought her to atheism. I mean, she, she figured out on her own that she felt that, that, that the whole Judaism stick was, you know, was bunkus, but you know, the internet gave her a form. And I think that's, you know, they're talking about here how internet use increases because of religious belief. Let me, let me tell you, and this is, this is something I really want to talk about. Um, people, I don't think people can understand. And this is where I think a lot of the, the very staunch and hard edged atheism comes from like maybe guys like Christopher Daw like, or like Richard Dawkins. Uh, and I was going to say Chris Hitchens, um, and I think where you get a lot of that really like, you know, it almost it almost sounds like hate at times for religious people. You got to understand where, where where that comes from. And it comes from repression and oppression. Um, you know, th this this article talked about how, uh, you know, how important the Internet is to the growth of atheism and to the, the growth of non-religiosity. And. I think that's because it's the one place where you can safely and maybe even anonymously talk about it. Okay. Uh, and that is so important because a lot of people don't know, look, you know, I grew up. Okay. 
um, when, when I was growing up, I was, you know, I was in Judaism, uh, till I was about 13, 14. Uh, and I, you know, hit, I was a Christian after that for a few years, um, you know, till I was about 17 or 18, then I became an atheist for a little while. Um, and when I, when I became an atheist, like, I mean, it was so the, the, the kind of the ostracism and the, the fear mongering that gets laid on you and, and just the, just the, the verbal assaults that get laid on you for saying, look, I don't believe in this God thing anymore. Okay. I don't have the evidence, you know, and, and the fact that, especially for me, like switching between religions, you know, so early on in life, I'm like, wait a minute, there's one truth. Who is it? You know, is it Christ or, <laughs> you know, uh, wait, why aren't I saying the Shema anymore? What's going on here? You, you know, and, and it, it was just such a mess. Um, and you know, you can't, and then you see like, like one of the things for me that, that, that really is in, you know, in my younger years that brought me to atheism was, you know, seeing other people have a really good time in life, really enjoy life and what the earth has to offer for a good time and what society has to offer for a good time. Um, you know, seeing that and nuts and seeing the people not get swallowed whole by the earth, you know, and seeing them not get struck down by lightning and seeing them smile, genuinely smile out of real happiness, not out of some like perverted content contentedness, but out of real happiness. That was so, that was such a clincher for me to see that. And, you know, but I mean, I, I had to deal with people saying, how dare you be this? You know, I mean, there wasn't free choice, you know, in the matter. And so the internet was very, very comforting to run to for myself included. Okay. And I'm sure for a lot of people, like this article kind of states, okay, to run there and to be able to discuss these ideas and to question these things openly without fear of reaction, you know, without fear of, 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 of consequences that shouldn't be there in the first place. Um, now, of course, I became a Christian again later on in life uh, due to the military, because I just, you know, I was when you're in the military, you're doing such inhuman things. You have to make sense of what you're doing somehow. And, you know, if you if you convince yourself that you're doing something evil, which I feel I was, uh, you know, you're probably just going to end up offing yourself. Uh, so and, and so, you know, you can't do that. And, and you're you know, your desire for self-preservation kicks out that idea. And so you have to make sense of the universe somehow. And so you kind of run to religion, I think. And this is, uh, this is where the phrase comes from. You know, um, there's no, uh, no atheists in foxholes. Okay. Because you got to make sense out of this, just this atrocious act that you're a part of. Okay. Which I think war, in fact, even a lot of Christians, uh, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of Christians I know who have uh, you know, a degree of sense will admit that war is the most depraved act humanity uh, engages in, um, actually, uh, an old friend of mine, uh, uh, Dwight, um, he, he actually, he, that was, that was his quote. Um, anyway, so, you know, you, you have to, you have to, like I said, you have to make sense of your world and the, the military just loves you being, you know, religious. They, the, because then they can give you the whole shtick about a just war and all this stuff. And they, they think it's great. Um, but, you know, I got out of the military, of course, and, and years down the line, I became an atheist again, because the same thing. I realized, wait a minute, you know, I was seeing 
Well, I mean, I, I came up with the logical conclusion that, uh, of course, that that all this religious stuff is just a rigged game. And it was very, very easy. Uh, eventually, you know, when you do a lot of really, really heavy studying. And this is the other point, uh, part of importance of the Internet, of how the Internet, I think, is con- is making people atheists, is because you can really do the deep research into like what the Greek and Hebrew means. And uh, along with, you know, comparative research, all this kinds of stuff and just the information you can read stories from people who have done the research for you, like Bart Ehrman or who, you know, whoever. And you could you, you suddenly start to see the contradictions and you start to see, wait a minute, this isn't this isn't cool uh, or, you know, or the Internet makes it available to where you can talk to people from all over the world. And suddenly you realize that, you know, Muslims are actually normal people. Okay. Uh, you know, speaking of that, I mean, when I was in the military, I, you know, I was over in Afghanistan, Iraq, the, the you know, the whole business. Yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, I've been all over and, uh, you know, they, I, and I wore a star of David at the time. Okay. Just out of ethnicity, I wore a star of David and, you know, they didn't care about my star of David. They didn't care at all. They, they didn't like the patch on my shoulder of an American flag, but they didn't give two shits about my star of David. They thought it was fine. Uh, so, you know, that, that's, that just a, just a short thing to, you know, quick thing to keep in mind. Um, and also, you know, I mean, like, and, and you might think it's funny that I'm somehow talking nice about, about Muslims, uh, you know, because they get portrayed by, by the media. Again, the internet can show you the truth. Okay. Which is part of the reason that people are becoming atheists. Um, you know, they're portrayed as being these really conservative backwater people. And certainly in countries like Saudi Arabia, where there's a government that can enforce religious belief, uh, which is, you know, that's a pretty scary alliance. Uh, you know, it, it, there, there's truth to that. But in, in much of the Muslim world, uh, in fact, I, I know, boy, I, I had two Muslim co-workers, uh, young women who they they <laughs> they wanted to have a good time with me. And you know what I mean? I mean, they wanted to have a good fucking time, uh, you know, all the way. And of course, I, you know, I didn't, but I'm just saying is that, uh, you know, come on, these people, not all of them are conservatives. Okay. Just like, you know, a lot of these, the, perhaps a lot of the points I'm making about religion here don't apply to everybody that's religious or spiritual. So the internet shows a lot, you know, the internet doesn't allow for the lies to continue anymore because now everything can be verified, at least verified to where you're comfortable with them. As far as you want to go with it, you can go with the internet, with this wealth of information. Uh, and the same goes true for government. Okay. This is why, again, atheism and anarchism part and parcel, right? They, they work together because anarchism is growing. I think, uh, and I don't have an article with the numbers, but I think it's growing because the government can't get away with its lies anymore. Either. The control of information is so much more important to the state and to religious organizations then the control of guns, the control, the laws don't matter. It's the control of information. That's what it's always been about. But with the internet and things, you know, and all these new technologies, fire chat, made safe, you name it. They're setting that information completely free. And the floodgates of liberty are literally opening up you know, in every direction. Time now for 90 seconds on sex with Dr. Paul. A few years ago, I was waiting in a hospital emergency room for a friend. There was a woman in one of the rooms who was moaning loudly and occasionally saying, Oh, God. I assumed she was in incredible pain, 
But the fact is, if the exact same sounds were coming out of a bedroom window, 99% of people would assume that the woman was making love and having one orgasm after another. My point is, you can't always tell whether a partner is responding to your love-making efforts with agony or ecstasy. This is especially true because nature has us using a lot of the same vocalizations for pain as for pleasure. Of course, the opposite is just as likely to be true where a partner makes virtually no vocalizations. I mean, a lover might almost become silent and enter into what appears to be an altered state of consciousness when she's experiencing sexual bliss. She might assume she's communicating when she really isn't, or maybe she's fearful of hurting your feelings. So I can't encourage you enough to talk about this with a partner, but not when you're in the middle of making love. Ask her how you can tell if what you're doing is just right or if she'd like you to make adjustments. Find out what signals you should look for, including how you can know if she wants you to do something faster, slower, harder, or softer. For more, visit 90secondsonsex.com. Software of the Week. It is time for Software of the Week, where I talk about software that's good, bad, changing the world even. Or, you know, sometimes it's just something fun. Uh, and before I get into software of the week, I hope everybody listens. I put in those 90 seconds on sex. You just heard it uh, with the real Dr. Paul um, and with Paul Jonides. And uh, I hope I hope you don't skip those. I think those are so beautifully informative. There's only so many of them. Uh, there's still plenty to go through. Uh, <laughs> but uh, eventually I will start recycling them, you know, to where you're going to hear old ones. We've got a long, long way before that happens. Um, but anyway, I hope you listen to that. And boy, you know, I thought that was very interesting. And we're going to talk about this during listener emails where he's talking about the sounds that a woman makes. And, and the sounds of like, you know, when she's like screaming out in pain, when someone's screaming out in pain or whatever, you know, that, I mean, and depending on the situation, what is it? Either way, it's kind of a cry for to get the attention of other humans. Right. And I think that's a really interesting prospect. So the question becomes, if it's a cry out for like when she's in, you know, when a woman's in pain, is it a cry out for someone to come and help her? But then during lovemaking, if it's the same sounds is it a cry out then for someone also to help her, even though she's already with someone? Uh, Got to wonder. Evolution. Funny thing, isn't it? It really uh, evolution really, really has a lot to say on love. But anyway, <laughs> maybe we'll talk about that during listener email um, real quick. Software of the week. This is super exciting, though, not in a world changing sense, per se, like uh, like maybe fire chat may be. Um but it's Android x86. Okay. And what this is, is it's a project and you could go to Android x86 dot org. Of course, the link is in the show notes of sovereigntech.com. And it's a project to get Android onto PCs. Okay. Now there's already companies. I think, uh, I think it's Acer that came out with like a, like a 23 inch or 27 inch, uh, all in one computer, uh, you know, PC that runs Android natively, you know, and it's touchscreen, the whole, the whole shtick. Um, and that, you know, so there's a market for it, or at least Acer seems to think it, there's a market for it. Uh, and I, I really, I think there is a market for it because, you know, especially when you have like these Chrome OS devices with really, really, uh, you know, slim specs as in, there's not a whole lot they could run. Now you can put Linux on them, but how, how exciting would it be to like put Android on them, especially with all the, the gaming opportunities available to you, the ability to use Skype. 
you know, because Chromebooks, that's really one of the big things that Chrome's, Chromebooks is missing is the ability to use Skype. Of course, it's not Google's fault. They offer Google Hangouts, which is uh, superior, in my opinion, anyway. Uh, but, you know, it, it's Microsoft's fault that they won't open up Skype uh, a little bit. But then that might be part of their business plan uh, to entrench everybody into that. Anyway, uh, Android x86, I really I think it opens up a lot of options. Uh, you, you know, because Android is arguably the most popular OS in the world right now, uh, especially if you have, uh, you know, a Google Play account on there. Uh, you know, you, you, you potentially have hundreds, if not thousands of dollars of software that you've paid for that you could put onto, you know, onto a little laptop, onto a little netbook of some kind, maybe. And I, it just that it opens up a whole world of, uh, of opportunities. Uh, I, you know, I use a Bluetooth keyboard with my, with my Android phone, with my galaxy Nexus. Uh, and I, and I love that because there's so many things, especially like, you know, th this, in fact, here's, here might be one of the best reasons for, you know, for getting Android X86 to work on, on some computer of yours is you have uh, Instagram. Okay. And Instagram is, I know it at least has taken over. It has more mobile users, mobile users. Uh, that's the only people that can really use it. Uh, I mean, you can go to the website and view pictures, but you can't really in comment, but you can't really use it. Uh, it has more mobile users than Twitter does. Okay. Instagram is right now the king of social media networks. Uh, not just my opinion, a lot of people's opinion, but that is the opinion going around because of that. That is a hot spot to do advertising or, you know, to get your message out there or whatever. It's a great way to, to reach out to people. There's hashtags and ads, the whole business. Okay. And so if you had Android on a full on laptop, you know, or desktop, and you could use, you know, and, and you could go crazy with Instagram on that to where you could type out whole things. Like there's an Instagram account I follow called the history of Batman, and they must be doing something to that effect. Maybe they have like a, an Asus transformer, uh, like a, like a T 400 or something that, uh, you know, that does a lot of that. And <laughs> I mean, you know, it opens up a whole new world of outreach. So, and again, the game playing abilities, there's a whole, so much you could do with Android on a full on computer. Check it out. Android X86. I love it. I'll be back with more. From Big Finish Productions, Blake 7, the classic audio adventures. I'm taking Liberator in on manual. We'll be in teleport range in two minutes. What the hell was that? Information. Liberator has been attacked. You don't say. Put up the force wall. Confirm. Message to all ground commanders. Initiate the final phase. Let's crush these rebels once and for all. My name is Avon. Kerr Avon. Kerr Avon. Our hostage arrives. Which you may be unnecessary. As a hostage, it's nice to be superfluous. You can go to Blake7.com to find more of the new adventures of one of science fiction's greatest masterpieces. Blake7 at Blake7.com. It is time for listener emails, where I cover the emails, the questions that get sent to me at SovereignTech at RiseUp.net. Of course, you're also welcome to DM me on Twitter uh, with questions. That's fine. Uh, or whatever way you want to you know, reach out to me. There's a lot available. Um, 
And I mean, you could just post it on Twitter in general and, and, and perhaps, uh, you know, I'll, I'll get to it. I have lots of questions to get through. I get a lot of repeat questions. Okay. From people. And so generally I will often just wrap them up, uh, under, you know, and I'll just say, okay, this is, you know, what the person asked. And I'm going to do that this week as well. Uh, because it's, it's one that got, that got asked quite a bit. And uh, of course, again, you can email me sovereign tech at rise with your questions and listener emails. I'll, I'll answer any question you have. Okay. I hope, I think last week's listener email kind of proved that point that I will literally answer anything <laughs> about me. Um, and, uh, fortunately, you know, th- speaking of last week's listener email, uh, I didn't get any, uh, any negative comments from, uh, one of the comments I, I made in that, uh, that, that had to do with a penis. Um, and, and that was, uh, I was <laughs> Thank you for being understanding in, in my openness and honesty. Uh, I think openness and honesty are, are incredibly important. Communication is just one of the very key things uh, to, to the human experience. So anyway, uh, this, week's, this week's listener email is in reference to, um, you know, a lot of people ask me because I, I, as, as some, I'm sure everybody knows, you know, I'm also, I'm on Free Talk Live uh, usually on Saturday nights. Actually, this week uh, I was on Friday night, so you might want to look for that. Steph, the lovely and hyper-intelligent Dr. Stephanie Murphy and I were on Friday nights with Daryl Perry of FPP.cc fame. Uh, and Daryl Perry is just a, just a class act of a guy. Uh, actually, he's, he's essentially a co-worker of mine with Free Talk Live. Uh, and he, I mean, he's doing great work and just a, a great activist. Um, and and, and an, a, a real savant, too. Like, it's amazing the amount of knowledge that guy has. Uh, so anyway, um, you know, check that out. We we're on Friday night. <laughs> I think it's April 4th, 2014, if you want to listen. Um, and some some of actually what I'm going to talk about here came up during that uh, that episode as well. But, uh, you know, on Free Talk Live, I've mentioned before where I think that marriage is uh, is passe. I think that marriage is, you know, antiquated. It's as antiquated. I've often said it's as antiquated as, um, you know, as as government is, you know, and it's as, just as useless. Uh, and I've made comments, you know, in, in other forums where I've essentially said that, you know, hey, you know, I don't think the family structure, the conventional family structure that we know of as, you know, two parents and children, again, only two parents and children, uh, that, that I don't think, you know, that that may not be optimal uh, for everyone's happiness, the parents, the you know, the adults, as well as the child's happiness. And so, I get, you know, I get questions about that. And a lot of people just start freaking out even, you know, they're, they're like, what are you talking about? You know, this is what the Illuminati wants. They want the, the end of the family, blah, 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 uh, you, you know, and, and all of that. OK, and so I, I want I want your understanding uh, and, and just as a, as a heads up, I also want your understanding next week, uh, when I, I, cause I'm talking about my, my theories about the value of gold, um, you know, where that really comes from, not the stuff I've already talked about in the past. So I want your openness and understanding now in that I am not saying you are committing an immoral act by being married. I am not saying you are committing an immoral act by, you know, being a two parent home with a child, I also want to point out that I am not saying it's an immoral act or I am calling you inferior or somehow subhuman if you are a single parent with children. Okay. Um, you know, I want to make that very, very clear. You know, I mean, people, you know, you have my understanding. 
even if I think this stuff is not optimal and that you could be happier in other ways, you have my absolute empathy and understanding in, in, you know, the situation that you are in. And if you are happy, I know very, very happy married couples. And I think that's fantastic. Kudos to you. I know married couples that have children. They're very, very happy. And I think that's fabulous. Okay. Um, but you know, you know, <laughs> I just, I want to discuss perhaps looking on into the future. You know, I one of the most popular questions I get, uh, that Stephanie and I get at sex and science hours. What do you picture an anarchist world looking like? Well, that's part, this is part of what I want to talk about here. This is part of that. And I think it goes without saying as far as marriage, and we'll get into the overall family structure in a minute. I think it goes without saying that marriage should not be law. I don't think anybody would argue with me on this is that marriage is not, should not be a legal institution. Um, even if there are governments, marriage should be outside of that. Uh, you know, they, they should, government should have no say whatsoever in who you love, uh, what benefits you get for being in love, etc. Love is, you know, it, it is the it should be the most singular voluntary act possible. And so the government should really have no business in it, whether you want government or not. Uh, that, that's the easy one. OK, we, we, we're over that hump. Um, marriage, I think, and, and the, the argument that a lot of people will give me for marriage is that it's, it's two pronged. Um, you know, one, one is, is that it, you know, it's, we get to announce to the world that we are together. Okay. Absolutely nothing wrong with that. I, I think that's, that's fantastic, uh, you, you know, to do that's, that's all right. Um, but then the other part of that is that, because we announced it to the world, we want the world to essentially hold us accountable in our relationship for being together. And that's where, for me, it, it falls apart. Okay. Because that's essentially asking, and some have commentated on this fact, that's essentially asking for the world to shame you into staying into a relationship, you know, to shame you into staying in that marriage saying that, well, if you start to have problems, well, because we made a, a, a you know, an open declaration uh, where that means that when we have problems, we're going to kind of stick through it and, uh, you know, we're, we're going to try and, and work it out. And I'm all for working things out. OK, that that's that, you know, that that's great. But if a person has no desire to work it out and they genuinely want to go in a free society, you need to let them go. And there really shouldn't be much in the way of, of repercussions for that. Uh, now, if there's a child involved, okay, that's, that's a different story. You know, I, I mean, there needs, cause I mean, then you have another party that you brought into this world or that even if you adopted that maybe, you know, there needs to be more than just, I just walk away. Okay. But part of the solution to that may be what I'm about to talk about. And that is, is that, and, and yeah. This is the hard part, okay? Because when I talk about this stuff, people say, well, give me data, give me data, give me statistics. I can't. No one's tried this before. You know, it's like, give me statistics on anarchy. You can't. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's by and large never existed. Yes, there, you know, there, there is, uh, uh, was it Libertatia or, or, or not Libertopia, the conference in California, but there was a, a pirate uh, anarchist society in the 17th or in the, in, I think in the 18th century called, it was either Libertatia or Libertopia. Uh, anyway, in the general history of pirates, you can read about that. 
Um, and then there was in Russia in the from like 1918, I think, to 1921, something like that. Maybe I got the years a little bit off, but there was an, an autonomous anarchist society uh, that existed in Russia for a while. So, yes, there has been anarchist societies, but we really we don't have any statistics on anarchy. OK, we only have logic and that's all I'm going to appeal to here. OK, we only have reason. And and that's that's definitely what I'm going to appeal to here. So please don't write into me. I mean, you can, but I'm, I can't you're not going to get a response because I can't give you statistics on what it's like to, you know, to, if uh, if if parents have, you know, if a family system, OK, parents, parents and child had more than two parents. I just can't do it. Now, maybe eventually we will start to have statistics on this because Britain is allowing for legally three parents. California is now allowing for more than two parents to be legally recognized by the state. OK. Um, and I, I'm not supporting the, you know, the state enforcing these things. I'm just saying that maybe now we can actually get some some statistics because people will admit that. Oh, yeah. No, I'm, I'm this parent's dad. Uh, and he's the parent's dad, too. She's the parent's, or, you know, the parent's mom. She's the parent's mom and she's the parent's mom. And we can't use Mormonism either because this is that's like th- th- there's no logic or, or reason there because it's a holy order, you know, and generally you don't have multiple dads. You only have multiple moms, which, again, that's fine if you're in that. I'm not, you know, I mean, whether I agree with it or not, you know, I'm just I'm not railing against that. I'm just saying I can't use that as a, a statistic. Uh, and so my question is, is that what if we had, you know, in families, what if families as we know them today didn't really exist anymore? And instead there were multiple parents and multiple children. Now, of course, you know, with the Britain thing, that's because multiple parents can genetically be a part of the child's genetics. Okay. But I'm not even really talking about that. And you know, to infer that, you know, cause this is maybe the first thing that's going to get leveled against me to infer that, well, there's a difference when it's biologically yours, that, that says something very ugly about love. Um, I mean, it, it, it really does because, you know, that's saying that love is not this penultimate force that actually biology, you know, kind, kind of is. And, and I would disagree with that statement. I love does not require, um, you know, does not require biology, in my opinion. Um, I mean, it's pretty clear that, you know, when when you love a partner of yours, you know, you you love them very very greatly. And then people say, well, do you, you know, do you love them differently than uh, than children? And you're going to end up creating a logical loop here because once you say that, then you say, well, do you love one child more than the other? Right? Say you have three kids. Do you love one child more than the other? Um, you know, nobody, I don't think anybody would say, yeah, I love this one more than I love the others. No. Okay, fine. So if your love for your children is greater than your love for your partner, then why can't you love multiple partners at the same time? If you can love all those children at a greater level of love. Okay. Uh, you know, at the same time, why can't you love multiple partners at the same time? Do you see? Now, again, I don't have statistics. I can't give you any. They don't exist. But I can just give you some 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 logical thought and some reason behind this. Okay. Now, I myself here, I can speak anecdotally as well. I myself was in a marriage 
where I was raising three children that were not biologically mine. I didn't care. You know, I, I loved them as much as I, as I can, you know, love any other human being, I suppose. Okay. Uh, I was a major force in their life for, you know, their, their entire growing up phase. And I can tell you now, first off, I'll admit I was an atrocious parent. Okay. I mean, I, I was, I was terrible. Um, but I can tell you that even in, and again, I wasn't doing peaceful parenting at all. I was, you know, telling the kids, nope, you got to go to bed at eight o'clock. And I, <laughs> you know, a lot of that was out of a degree of, of selfishness of just having free time of my own, because to give kids the kind of love that they need, guess what? You as a parent are going to sacrifice your time. Okay. I'm speaking anecdotally. All right. Uh, no one else talks about this stuff. Again, I can't give you statistics or books to read. They don't exist. So, because, so to give the kids the attention that was needed, you know, you have no time for yourself. Now, if the goal in life, and if you disagree with me on this, I'd love to talk to you about that. Okay. That's okay. We, I mean, literally talk. If you disagree with this point, if the goal in life is to be happy, okay. Now, maybe you, you're just so exceptionally happy in the existence, uh, you know, of a child and, and of, of, of being a parent. Maybe that's a possibility. I don't know. Okay. But I had things that I, I liked to do. You know, I liked, I liked to play video games. I like to go experience things. I like to hang out with people. I like to do intellectual pursuits, all this stuff. You can't do that. Okay. And still be a good steward of a child, in my opinion. So. You know, and give the, the, the attention, you know, that, that children, that children really need. Um, so with that, with that in mind, I mean, I was doing the parenting where I wasn't so conscious, conscious of, I need to give, you know, kid, these kids so much attention, uh, you know, for them to develop, uh, healthily and all that stuff. And I still didn't have, I still was unhappy. I didn't have, and, and I wasn't just unhappy. My ex-wife was incredibly unhappy. Everybody, you know, everybody was, was clearly incredibly unhappy. Was there another source of that unhappiness? Yeah, maybe, but I, I see the same thing and I've talked to other parents about it and they feel the same way. You sacrifice yourself when you have a child. Now, two options there. Okay. One option is don't have children. That's an option I've decided to take. I have a vasectomy. I, I, you know, I can't, <laughs> can't make kids, um, the other option, I think, and this is the one that I think deserves exploration, and this is what I mean when I talk about destroying the traditional family structure, is that you have lots of parents with these children. Forget biology. Let's get over that, okay? You have lots of parents for these children. And that way, there's always an adult that can give, the, give a child the attention that they need to develop. Okay. And you know, it, like there's the saying, it takes a village to raise a child. Maybe that's true. Just not in the way that it's always been used. Okay. Maybe that's very true. It does take a village and let's have the whole village do it. Now you can look into the works of Dr. Peter Gray, who is just, I saw him at AHS 2012, the ancestral health symposium 2012. He was fantastic. And he talks about more tribal cultures where th that's exactly what happens is a village raises a child. And he has some tremendous insights in this matter. Not a whole lot in the way of statistics. Again, just like me again, nobody's trying this stuff. We don't know. We can't know, but that doesn't mean you don't try it. 
We don't have any statistics that smartphones are good. Maybe we should have never bothered with them because we just don't have statistics. So toss out all your smartphones, please. Um, anyway, um, you know, so, th- so this is my question is that would this kind of family structure really work a lot better? And then I wonder too, if this would eliminate, you know, there's a story recently where a father, a stepfather even beat the crap out of some boy that her, his daughter, his stepdaughter was, uh, you know, getting out of the shower, essentially naked with, he beat the crap out of her as if somehow he owns her vagina. Maybe if we stopped thinking because family naturally creates this, it works like, you know, it works like countries. It seems like with families where it's my child, my, 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 there's all this ownership tied in and there's these borders that are tied in just like with countries. And maybe if we went with this more expanded type family thing, and I don't mean grandparents. Okay. I mean, real other moms and dads. Okay. Maybe we could get past those archaic ideas of like somehow that you own another human being, which is the very basis of government. So is family perpetuating the state? That's the question. Hey, Brian, what's that funny sticker over your laptop webcam? I was trying to spy on you while you were in the shower, but now I can't. See, that's why I have it. And it's from EFF.org. EFF? What's that? It's the Electronic Frontier Foundation, totally donor-funded organization that fights for internet freedom, privacy. Wow, that sounds great. So EFF.org, I support internet freedom and privacy, and maybe you do too. Yeah, and you can support them with Bitcoin. The Electronic Frontier Foundation at EFF.org. Stop playing those video games! Uh, 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 just a minute, Mom. Game Talk. It is time for Game Talk, where I talk about video games. Oh, yes, one of my favorite pastimes. Uh, not just a pastime, but I recently, I've been taking place and uh, I've been doing some tournaments. And uh, I haven't, haven't really won any cash prizes yet, but uh, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to to being a cyber athlete. Uh, definitely one of the, one of the things I, I really enjoy doing. Uh, I mean, you know, playing video games is fun and, and to you know, have a nice little competition and maybe get something out of it. Why not do that? I think uh, everybody should try out to be a cyber athlete if they, you know, if they enjoy video games. So anyway, this week, this is the antithesis of cyber athlete, uh, athletics, uh, but it's something I'm excited to read about. And I'm not going to talk about, you know, the big conversation going around about the Oculus Rift, uh, you know, about Oculus VR being talked about Facebook. I did talk about that. I, I will update quickly on that matter right now. And John Carmack, at, uh, who is famous for creating Doom, and I love John Carmack uh, because he's one of those rare guys. He's just a software guy, but he is one of those rare guys that if he doesn't matter how big the project is and how much money is involved, if he doesn't think it's a good idea, he'll walk away. And so my, my opinion right now is, is that I will stick with Oculus. I'm intrigued by a lot of what they got coming out, even though Facebook owns them. And I have my reservations about that. Okay. Um, you know, if, if the instant John Carmack walks away from Oculus, I'm dumping the pro, you know, in my own, in my own mind and in my own use, I'm dumping the project, uh, because he genuinely cares about the consumer. He, he really does. That's why he walked away from id. Uh, you know, about it was that like a year ago. 
so you know that that's kind of that's kind of my thoughts on on that right now. I still think it's crazy. I don't like that Facebook. You know, like if Steam bought it out, I think everybody would be happy uh, because it just that's what it is. It comes down to the fact that Facebook really doesn't seem to care about consumers. I think this is the underlying thing is that, and, and they don't, I mean, the way Facebook runs, like if Facebook cared about consumers, they'd probably be implementing a lot of end to end encryption. Yes, they are doing well for EFFs checklist of things to do for privacy. Okay. But I think there, I think Facebook would do a lot more. They clearly don't listen to their, their user base uh, at all. And so, you know, I think that's, that's the underlying, the underpinning thing with, with the Oculus buyout is that, okay, yeah, you know, it's Facebook and they can do what they want, but the problem is, is they don't care about the customer. And so Oculus might end up with that attitude as well. So if John Carmack walks away, I think you'll know that, yes, this is not a product that is, and that has the, the heart of the consumer at the heart of it. Okay. So that enough about that. No more talking about the Oculus VR uh, until it comes out and people are testing it anyway. Uh, you know, really comes out, not the dev version. So this week, I am excited about this story. This is coming from Kotaku. Uh, Jason Schreller wrote this, and it's Square Enix has finally realized that people like JRPGs. And then this is great. And of course, JRPGs, I, I, I did a whole Game Talk segment once on them, uh, means Japanese RPG, which has a certain style. Everybody knows about role-playing games, okay, uh, which is what RPG means. And they, you know, you know, a lot of people like them to really the openness of them, uh, like, uh, like take something like Skyrim, you know, like Elder Scrolls or Elder Scrolls online, which is coming out. Uh, you know, a lot of people like the open sandbox world, but then there's also a lot of people that re- myself included that really like a closed story where you take a guy, uh, Hideo Kojima, you know, uh, Shigeru Miyamoto, whoever you, you take one person's vision and you turn it into a video game. And I think there's a beauty in that. Okay. I really do. Uh, and I think that there's a unique experience that you get out of that, that no, you don't really have all the choices, you know, you, but you've got to play through this story and it becomes very much the interactive movie that a lot of people thought video games would become and were popular in the nineties for. Uh, so I, I'm excited about this. I'm going to read the story a bit here. Uh, once upon a time ago, <laughs> a Japanese company named Squaresoft made lots and lots of RPGs that people really, really liked. Of course, that's true. Squaresoft made Final Fantasy, uh, you know, Chrono Cross or Chrono Trigger, you know, go to go down the list. Um, a J- uh, today, a Japanese company named Square Enix makes video games. One of those games, an RPG called Bravely Default, sold a lot of copies both in Japan and in the West, which has made Square Enix realize something very important. People everywhere, not just in Japan, that's why they're called JRPGs, like Japanese role-playing games. Due to having split the development mindset according to regions around the world, we weren't able to see this clearly up until now. But fans of JRPGs are really spread around the world, Square Enix head uh, Hancho Yasuke Matsuda told Nikkei. And you'd think the worldwide access of all those other RPGs over the past two decades might have tipped them off, but hey, never too late to change your ways. Now here's the money quote. And again, this is from a Matsuda. For the new games we'll be developing from this point on, Mitsuda said, while this may sound a bit extreme, we've been talking about making them as heavy JRPGs. I believe that way we can better focus on our target, which will also bring better results. And then, of course, uh, Jason writes, all praise Square Enix. Um, in other news, Matsuda says we might hear more about Final Fantasy 14 and Kingdom Hearts 3 at E3. 
if they're ready to talk about it, then please be excited. Uh, anyway, this is a, you know, Matsuda, Jason actually makes the great point. It's like, how did Matsuda not already know that everybody loves JRPGs? Uh, and and this is a this is a problem that's existed for a very very long time. Now, what exactly was the mindset back in the '90s? Maybe it was just an all or nothing feeling that SquareSoft had to where they were putting out um, a lot of they they put out everything they possibly could. What came out in Japan, a lot of which still came out in the United States. But there was so much, especially with Nintendo. Now in the '90s, the big wig was was Super Nintendo, right? We're not talking about PlayStation, though that that fell prey to the same problem I'm discussing. Um, the Super Nintendo, uh, you know, you had tons of great JRPGs on there. Just, just phenomenal, phenomenal games, uh, that are still played and continually re-released to this day because they're that damn good. Uh, and really it's not Squaresoft. I think that that was actually the problem with this. It was, uh, Enix. Okay. Which is a company that Squaresoft bought out a little while back. Uh, now Enix made the Dragon Warrior games or the, uh, Dragon Quest games. They started off in the United States as being called Dragon Warrior, and one through four came out for the NES. And but they never stopped making Dragon Warrior games. Uh, and Dragon Warrior after Dragon Warrior or after Dragon Quest, same game, okay? But I'm going to call it Dragon Quest now. When Dragon Quest uh, four came out, that was kind of the last one to to hit the shores of the U.S. And then we didn't see another one until uh, I guess. Was it the PlayStation that Dragon Warriors or Dragon Quest Seven? Sorry, uh, came out, and so you had five and six that that skipped. Okay, and this is a shame. And so you know, Enix thought that you know, there was this attitude that the that people in the United States were very conservative and they couldn't handle you know a lot of what was going on in Japan, a lot of the more sexually free and a lot of the more grown-up entertainment that was coming out in Japan for these very same systems because in the US at the time especially even though there were plenty of adults playing it, the overall attitude and this attitude still exists to this day is that game video games are for kids. Now, it's just not true. You know, in fact, uh, the, statistically the the average gamer is in their 30s today. Um so, you know, I mean, that, that, that's, that's totally inaccurate. And maybe that's why Square Enix finally said, okay, the average gamer is 30 years old. They want JRPGs like they played when they were 15. And so we need to start releasing those, making more, getting them out there. And they mentioned Bravely Default, which came out for the 3DS, I think. And it was just a huge success, a uh, massive, massive success. So, and not only that is a success, but part of their numbers, I think that they realized is that the Dragon Quest games, which I mentioned, they finally released five and six in the United States and they sold gangbusters. They released them for the Nintendo DS. I finally got to play them. I was so excited. They were incredible games and I can get it why they didn't get released. Like Dragon Quest five, uh, it's called hand of the heavenly bride. And in that there's actually a woman gives birth to a child in it. So there's very clear sexual connotation in the game. And when that was made, which was, you know, like 1993 or 94 originally, yeah, I could see in America that just wouldn't that wouldn't gel. You know, people would freak out. We're talking about the same time frame where, uh, you know, Mortal Kombat, they had to change the Super Nintendo version of Mortal Kombat to where uh, you didn't see the blood and to where, uh, you know, even fatalities were changed. Like you couldn't uh, rip the the head off and have the, you know, spinal cord showing, um, you know, with Sub-Zero or whatever. OK. Um, and so. You know, it's funny. I mean, at least in the video game world in the 90s, 
people were consistent as to where with movies they're not. And what I mean by that is, is in the, is in the early nineties in the video game world, people didn't want violence in the games or they would argue about violence in the games that you obviously video games is still plenty of violence. They argued about it, but then they also didn't want sex either. PlayStation changed that of course, you know, with a lot of games, um, but, uh, you know, there's even games with lesbian scenes in them, uh, for the PlayStation, but besides it was parasite Eve, right. But besides the point, um, at least there was some consistency there that we know we don't want sex. We don't even, we don't even want the inclination or, you know, the, the, the hint of sex, uh, with, with someone having a kid in a game, like in hand of the heavenly bride. Um, but you know, we don't want the violence either. So at least there was consistency there as to where with movies, nobody cares. Yeah, there could be tons of violence, but, uh, you know, no sex. So in the video game world, there was consistency, no sex, no violence. Um, but you know, again, the video game world has grown up and now I think Square Enix realizes that, and they are open to releasing these games with tremendous storylines that can't help, but talk about sex. Okay. And maybe even show sex. And so I'm pretty excited about this. I, I, I like it. And I hope they keep re I hope they, they keep re-releasing games that were really popular in Japan, especially in the nineties that never saw the light of day here. Uh, you know, and some people might not know this and I, and I'll talk about it quick. I mean, there's literally thousands of games that come out thousands more games that come out every month in Japan than do in the United States for the same systems that you own. Uh, and, and the reason for that is that a lot of these companies like square Enix did before until now think that there just isn't a market for it. But I, I don't think that's true with the internet. Like we talked about with the internet where, you know, the borders are disappearing and they, on the internet, they just, they don't even exist. Um, but where mentally the borders are disappearing, uh, people are wanting to play these really, these oddball niche games. And every time they come over here, like space channel five, they're always huge. And so I'm glad maybe this is the first start in where all video game companies will be like, let's release everything everywhere. Tonight, Knight Rider crashes into your living room. I don't believe this. Well, you'd better believe it. A lone crusader for justice drives this crime crasher. The world's most fantastic car. And together they can do just about anything. After all, we're only human. Don't press your luck. And now, buckle up for action with the fastest show on television, Knight Rider. See Knight Rider online today. And now back to Sovereign Tech. Wow. It's a website of the week. It is time for website of the week where I talk about websites that I find useful. Sometimes it's a website that's terrible or funny or whatever. Uh, This definitely falls under the useful category and it's thewirecutter.com. Okay. The word the is in there. It's thewirecutter.com. Dot com. And of course, you know, you can find the link in the show notes, no problem at sovereigntech.com. But the wirecutter.com, uh, think of this. I, I love this. Okay. And I use it all the time and it's consistently updated. Think it's a review site, a product review site, but think of it as the Metacritic of product review sites, meaning that they, they get a consensus of quite a few people. And then they kind of, they, they, they kind of, they don't duke it out literally, of course, um, but then they kind of duke it out and then they come to uh, a conclusion on what the best product is and like, what's even the alternative to that product. And they do great write-ups on why it's the best product and they lay everything out. 
Um, and they, they do it for, for just about anything. Uh, there's the, the best, uh, soda maker, the best bed pillows, the best TV, best small TV, best $500 TV, uh, best wireless home theater headphones. Uh, I, I mean, best $500 projector, best Pico projector, best $1,000 projector, uh, best standing desk mat, uh, best weather app for Android. I mean, you, you go down the list, they have everything. Uh, the, the, the lead one right now is best iPad keyboard case. This, this is, you know, I get a lot of questions. Um, and in these ones, I'll generally, I'll try and email right away. Uh, you know, because it's a pretty simple answer. They're not asking for like, you know, a long kind of technical philosophical or aspect, uh, you know, tech technological aspect to, to the question, but just like, all right, what do you think is the best this, and I can just tell somebody, but this might, you know, solve a lot of those emails. And so I want you to check this out. It's the wirecutter.com. They even, they did, this was really, really fascinating uh, to me. They just updated the other day, the best Chromebook. Now before, again, this is, this was updated, uh, you know, just, boy, what was it? April 2nd, maybe, you know, so just a couple days ago before their best Chromebook that they laid out was the C720 by Acer which is the one I use. And I'm actually looking at the wirecutter.com from right now. And now though, they've updated it. And the best Chromebook is actually, this is unbelievable, but it's true. The Dell Chromebook 11. I, that's right, dude. It's a Dell. <laughs> uh, and, and cool. I mean, I, I think that's great. You know, that, that, you know, and there's no BS. It's, it's, it's all, you know, it's very well talked about. It's a democratic process, uh, to where they decide what, you know, what the best of the best is in, in any given case. And, uh, you know, for the Chromebook, they said the Dell Chromebook 11. Now, of course, this is being stated before the release of the Samsung Chromebook two, which might the, again, Chromebook two, not, not there, not the one that's, that's available now on Amazon. Um, that might end up being the best one of the bunch. Uh, or also there's some pictures of, uh, Asus's, uh, Chromebook that they're releasing. Some of that came out and it looked pretty hot too. So, but then, you know, they, the, the Chromebook 11, you know, and they give you a full price breakdown, the whole thing. And they tell you, you know, Hey, this sells for 300 bucks. If you're only looking to spend 200 bucks, then go grab the C720. Cause you know, it, it's still, it, it's good. Uh, and they give you all, all the great reasons. They really talk about it. They're very, very knowledgeable guys on here. So just a fantastic resource to have. Um, and, you know, I don't get to do products enough on this show. I usually end up doing other things uh, and I don't want to add in another segment. I think two hours is plenty long for, for a podcast unless people say they want more. Um, but, uh, you know, this this really could help you out because, I, again, I don't get to do product of the week enough. And really, they do it far better than I ever could. So check it out. Wirecutter.com. I'll be back with more. Hey everybody, it's Stephanie. I am the Sovereign Tech producer, but did you know I am also a voiceover artist? Yes, it's true. I make audiobooks, commercials for your business. I narrate explainer videos, pretty much any audio project that you can think of. I'm probably willing to work on it, or I have worked on it in the past. And if you want to hear some samples of my previous work, or you want to find out a little bit more about what I do, then I encourage you to check out my voiceover website, which is smvoice.info, smvoice.info. Now back to Sovereign Tech. Hacker Stories. It is time for Hacker Stories, where 
I talk about all kinds of things. Generally, I like to talk about the true heroes of the uh, of the modern age, that being hackers. And uh, actually had a, I don't know if it's this week's or next week's episode of Sex and Science Hour. And boy, if you haven't checked that show out, please check it out. Uh, the lovely and hyper-intelligent Dr. Stephanie Murphy and I, uh, you know, I think we're really putting together something very unique with it. And um, we, we talked about, uh, you know, hackers... <laughs> uh doing you know a, a good reason to to fall in love with hackers or to have hackers as a as a partner or at least as a sexual friend if you like uh, <laughs> because they can do some pretty incredible things but you're going to have to listen to that to uh, to find out what exactly i mean by that so anyway i like to talk about some of the real heroes on planet earth that being hackers also i like to talk about security issues uh you know or or even Something I'm going to kind of add into the mix to some degree, which I have done in the past, but I'm really going to kind of do it now is, is ways of circumventing the system, uh, you know, to, to some degree. And this week I'm going to talk about that. I've gotten, I've, this is kind of a quasi listener email too, because I've gotten a lot, I've gotten a, an email in the past, you know, Hey, torrenting, what do you think about that? You know, and, and you know, what's the best way to torrent? How would you go about all of this? Um, and I also hinted in the past in Hacker Stories that maybe at some point I should kind of talk about the the ethics of piracy, because torrenting, if you're not sure what torrenting is, it's a reference to what's called BitTorrent, not Bitcoin, BitTorrent. And BitTorrent allows you to download very large files very quickly, and it allows you to do it in, it allows you to do it in a decentralized fashion. And obviously the technology, while developed not for this, has become popular for a way of sharing uh, copyrighted content. Okay. Uh, and extra legally, not legally at all. <laughs> so, or I mean, but also it, it, full disclosure, BitTorrent is getting used by many, many, uh, you know, totally quote unquote legal and official and, you know, legitimate, I hate using that word for anything, uh, legitimate purposes, uh, you know, to, to get out there. And it's, it's kind of a, it's something that's on everybody's, you know, the tip of everybody's tongue because, you know, we hear about, uh, the, you know, the United States government, uh, or not, not the federal government, but some state governments having, uh, anti-piracy classes in, you know, in early on in grade school. Uh, we've talked about that on this show in the past. You can look for episodes about that in the show notes. Um, and you know, I mean, that, that's crazy. You, you've probably seen on Facebook where there's these, you know, report piracy ads that get forced upon you. Of course, if you're using Adblock Plus or Adblock Edge, maybe you didn't see those and good for you. <laughs> so, you know, it, it's a big deal. And I think a lot of people wonder, you know, what are the ethics behind it? Uh, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, this is going to sound like a dodge, but I don't know... <laughs> You know, whatever you can kind of achieve. Okay. Essentially, th this reminds me of, of the, you know, there, there's that, I, I can't think of the name of it now, sadly. Uh, there's the uh, TV service that will sell you an antenna that will receive, um, you know, stations and networks kind of, kind of for free in a decentralized way. Okay. And they charge you for the antenna, you know, or for the, the little device, and then you can get them. And now there's, you know, essentially stations like Fox and CBS are telling people, you know, telling the government or, you know, telling cable operators, whoever, you know, put a stop to this company that's doing that or we're going to pull everything, you know, we've got. And so it's important, you know, to point out that 
another problem with the idea of pirating isn't necessarily the fact that you're downloading content by not paying, like, say you download Game of Thrones, you're not paying, uh, you know, you're not paying the, the, the cost of getting HBO, be it through HBO Go or whatever. Okay. And so they're losing out on that. But HBO is not the best example because they don't necessarily run on advertising. They run on being paid for. But also for companies that, that, that you normally wouldn't pay for their station, okay, or networks that you normally wouldn't pay for their station, they run on advertising. And a lot of people are very, very kind that when they pirate episodes, um, they, you know, and they post them online for you to download, say at the Pirate Bay um, or at uh, Kick-Ass Torrents, they will eliminate the commercials. And so the advertising's gone. So the whole point of the show even existing, because let's be clear, television shows generally exist either for you to want to pay the network like HBO or stars. Okay. To, you know, to, to watch their content or they exist on free networks, quote unquote, free networks like CBS or Fox. Okay. Uh, so that they can collect advertising dollars. They are not made for the glory. They are not made for the enhancement of the human condition or of human existence. They are made to sell you ads. All right. You got to be very clear on that. That is the entire purpose of television is to push ads upon you. Okay. That's not necessarily why television was developed. Okay. I think it was developed much like radio to where it's just a, you know, a communication medium of a sort. Okay. But it's important to keep in mind that that is exactly why it exists now is to put, you know, is to force ads upon you. Um, fortunately within that, we often get a lot of quality content because to get ads to people, you got to make them want to watch it. And so that will often, you know, entice, uh, you know, networks to, to hire people that can write good material. And that does seem to happen. And of course, you know, this is what's happening with HBO and stars is they're making some of the quote unquote, you know, value is subjective, of course, but some of the best shows in television history, because, you know, they're losing their payment, the payment options due to piracy. Okay. They're losing people paying for their networks due to piracy. And so, you know, they, they've got to make better stuff to get people hooked and to keep people paying for, you know, for the service. Um, and of course, a lot of the shows, you know, networks are loosening up on their rules. OK, uh, with, you know, what they can show, uh, because, you know, I remember in the 90s when uh, NYPD Blue, the show NYPD Blue showed a guy's ass that was huge. Nobody ever did that before. Or when uh, when when South Park on Comedy Central finally uh, said the word bitch. Uh, it was, it was this real, I think that was the word they used that was so controversial. Um, but it was such a big deal. And this was in, you know, the mid nineties. Okay. Because before then, none of that stuff could happen on television. And so it was a great way to hook people in. And so HBO and stars, what they're doing is they're, they're just ramping it up and they're turning a lot of their shows into proverbial porn. Okay. To get you to pay for the content. But then you have this whole piracy problem. Okay. So, I mean, I, I kind of have a, a sort of a, a Max Sterner view on a lot of things. And, and one of my favorite quotes uh, doesn't come from Max Sterner. It actually comes from Harlan Ellison. And that is, um, what is not nailed down is mine. And what I can pry loose is also mine. Okay. So essentially, if you can get these shows for free, go ahead. So the real ethics comes in. The real, where ethics does come in is that if you feel that what you are watching is adding to your life, then give that money. Okay. 
there should, I don't, you know, I don't agree with having all these, you know, closed walls and all this stuff. I, I don't want any of it. So the ethics isn't necessarily is downloading it wrong. The ethics falls under the, you know, the onus kind of falls on you. If you support it, do you want to give them money? Now, the good thing that's coming out, out of piracy as well with torrenting is that people, you know, these companies like HBO, Netflix, whoever else, they're giving you this incredible experience. Okay, this easy to navigate experience and availability, ease of use, high quality programming, uh, high quality streaming, the whole shtick. Okay, like, look, we'll charge you seven dollars a month. Okay, but we're going to give you your seven dollars worth. Believe me, and they're and they're delivering on that because piracy was just making it so easy, and it really is. It really is easy to do. I know I'm kind of going all over the place here. Okay, but a lot of lot of subject matter to kind of cover. So. You know, HBO Go, like if you're a fan of Game of Thrones, as far as I can tell, people generally just watch, you know, shows that are on HBO. Um, and other than that, you know, I don't know how to get money to people. Like if it's a show that's 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 really popular, maybe you could like go to the show's website and buy T-shirts from it or something. This is the same thing with music. OK, it's not just television, but it also music is a big part of torrenting and piracy, too. OK, and with music, you know, most musicians make their money off of concerts. They don't actually, they make very, very little off of the sales of their albums. So if you want to support the musicians, go to the concert or buy merchandise from their site. Okay. Or maybe they're doing a direct sale from their website. Do that. Then you are actually giving them the money. So again, the ethics isn't that torrenting is wrong because it's not, you know, or that piracy is wrong because it's not the ethics really falls upon. Do you think this, this deserves value? And if it does, are you going to give them their value in return? That's what it comes down to. So anyway, if you are new to torrenting, here's what I want you to do. Here's what I want you to, to, to check out. Okay. Uh, some people have talked about an app called popcorn time, a, a, a piece of software called popcorn time. And I'm going to talk about that at some point, maybe for software of the week, but I'm not actually going to recommend that if you are new to torrenting and if you have a windows PC, Okay. I want you to grab, and this costs, there's a little bit of money here, okay? Um, but I, it's like 25 bucks, I think, to pay for it. But believe me, the amount of content you're going to get, it's so worth it. Uh, and it's BitTorrent Plus, okay? Um, and I didn't even touch on, you know, I didn't even get to the movies thing. Uh, but the, And real quick, I'm just going to say something about the movies thing. Uh, with movies, you know, what's the ethics behind that? Look, the fact is, if it's that great of a movie, people will pay to go see it. Okay. Everybody, a few years ago, everybody was freaking out. Oh man, you know, the, the movie business is dying because of piracy. But then what happened is, is they actually re released, ironically, Pirates of the Caribbean, one of the new Pirates of the Caribbean films, and it did blockbusters. People just want good content and believe me, they'll pay for it. And that's the bottom line, really, of what I'm saying. So as far as movies go, you know, if you really want to see this now, you're going to go pay to go see it because especially the cam jobs that you download are pretty, pretty ugly oftentimes that you could download through torrents. But anyway, if you are new to torrenting and you're doing it on a windows PC, I want you to grab BitTorrent plus. Okay. It only exists for windows right now. And it is great because you know, it has virus protection built into it. It's got the media player built into it. It'll even let you, this is key. It'll even let you like convert stuff to where it can work on your tablet or phone or pretty much anything you have. It's really, it's its own little operating system for torrenting, but it exists within windows. Okay. So if you're new to torrenting, this is what I want you to check out. If you're trying to torrent from an Android device, uh, I've mentioned it before. It's been software of the week, uh, T torrent 
plus. Okay, T-Torrent Plus. Uh, check that out, and, and that'll help you out. But BitTorrent Plus, okay, and you can go to BitTorrent.com to find it. Uh, check that out. It's really, it is the way to go as far as piracy. Piracy is okay. Just, you know, if you feel that something gives you value, find a way to give it in return. What does freedom mean? Tune in to LRN.FM to find out. LRN.FM is the Liberty Radio Network. A collection of live talk radio and podcasts, all coming from a principled pro-liberty perspective. LRN.FM show hosts aren't left, right, or conspiracy kooks. You can tune in 24-7 to LRN.FM via your phone, computer, satellite, and more. Listen free anytime at LRN.FM. That's LRN.FM. Would you like to play a game? Game of the Week. It is time for Game of the Week, where I talk about, you know, maybe a video game that people missed, uh, or, you know, something that went under the radar when all these AAA titles came out, or something that didn't get a lot of exposure that that maybe it, it should have. Um, and, you know, the interesting thing is that a lot of the games I, I list off for Game of the Week are often available on Steam. Sometimes, you know, they're Android or iOS games, but they're often available on Steam, and Steam is breathing new life into all of these games. And I don't just mean like they're making it available for people to play. I mean, they keep adding content over time. It's uh, it's really something, uh, to, you know, to, to behold. And, and so, you know, check these games out uh, really. And, and before you think, well, you know, it's just classic gameplay. Yeah, it is, but steam is doing a good job of adding in a lot of things that are not just cl- classic gameplay. You know, sometimes it's new stuff. Not that the game I'm talking about this week does any of that. Uh, but this game is available on Steam, but I, I don't I don't imagine they're ever going to add anything to it, uh, especially since, um, you know, all of George Lucas's properties are now owned by Disney. So and this is this was a game that was made by LucasArts and LucasArts was a company, especially in the 90s, that was like the creme de la creme of video game production. I mean, they were coming out with such incredible stuff way ahead of the curve on a lot of things. Uh, in this game, a lot of people don't don't remember this this game. Uh, LucasArts has made quite a few of the games I've done for Game of the Week, uh, like Tie Fighter, Star Wars Tie Fighter, uh, and of course they they make all the Star Wars or most of the Star Wars games. Um, and this one isn't Star Wars. This was actually a game that was done in conjunction with Steven Spielberg, uh, and it, it, it's phenomenal. It's called The Dig. Okay, just The Dig. That's the name of it. And it's a game about, it's a point and click adventure, kind of like Monkey Island, uh, you know, or Full Throttle, all games that, that LucasArts also made that were fabulous. Um, and so point and click, is, it's, it's kind of a game style that, that died for a while and it's sort of having a little bit of a resurgence now, which I'm happy about, where you click in an area, you know, and then like a cartoonish or maybe not so cartoonish character will go over to that area and look at what's there and a menu will pop up. Uh, sort of plays like an RPG to some degree. Um, but in the nineties, these were, these were all the rage. I mean, they, they were, everybody, you know, which was trying to make a really good point and click game. Uh, and the production value for point and click click games are, are huge. And the dig is no exception. Uh, in fact, it's exceptional to where you will have full voice acting. You would have a full score, you know, a full soundtrack, CD quality sound often enough, uh, because point and click games started coming out on CD ROMs in the nineties. Cause the dig is from 1995. Um, and it was it was really serious because a lot of the point and click games at the time 
were very, uh, you know, they, they had like a lot of humor in them. And The Dig was was just very deadly serious science fiction stuff. Uh, and and it, it was really cool. Uh, you know, there there's this this kind of um, this asteroid, uh, you know, appears oh, it, it, and it's going to be on a collision course with Earth. And so they got to get some people on a space shuttle, get up there and, you, you know, try and divert uh, with explosives. Uh, kind of sounds like the movie Armageddon, but it came out a long time before, uh, you know, divert this asteroid from hitting the Earth, uh, you know, again, with explosives. And they end up when when this this shuttle crew that goes to this asteroid, they when they land on it, they kind of find out that, well, there's a whole lot to this this asteroid. The asteroid's called Attila, I think, uh, after Attila the Hun. And. You know, I don't want to give anything away because the story is really, really good. Some people thought it was kind of boring, but generally I find, you know, the boring stuff. A lot of people call it boring because it's just it's very, uh, you know, very intellectual and not a lot of action. And I don't mind that in a video game. I'll take that. Uh, also, there's a great novelization because I really I love the story. And Alan Dean Foster, a tremendous author and actually the guy that created uh, Star Wars, George Lucas didn't, but uh, that's another story for another time. Um, Alan Dean Foster wrote the novelization for it, and it's a tremendous novelization. If you can find that on Amazon, if you don't want to play the game, I definitely recommend at least grabbing the novel because I, I really, I thought it was enjoyable, uh, not better than the game, but definitely, you know, definitely a nice addition to it. So, uh, there's a, you can, you can torrent the soundtrack as well. Of course you could torrent the game if you wanted, uh, and run it on an emulator, uh, just a lot of fun, you know, and I think you can have it really cheap on, uh, on, on steam. I don't know what it costs on there, but it can't be more than five bucks if, if that even, um, so check it out. Uh, it's The Dig, okay? And, of course, there's a link to the Wikipedia article so you can read more about it if you want. But don't give away the story for yourself. At least either read the book or play the game and, and, and enjoy the mystery behind it because just, I, I really, I enjoyed a good, serious science fiction story, especially in 1995. So check out The Dig. I'll be back with more. Do you have a business or product that you are interested in getting advertised to a largely U.S.-based audience on an award-winning podcast and radio show airing on hundreds of radio stations? Let Free Talk Live be a part of your advertising portfolio, because the world of audio never fades. Contact me, Brian Sovereign, and I can get an advertising package that will work within your budget. Email me at brian at freetalklive.com. And that's Brian with an I. Again, brian at freetalklive.com. What are you doing? I can't believe I caught you again. You know, Jesus doesn't approve of this little habit of yours. I know, baby, I know it's wrong, but it feels so right. Well, it ain't. But I've been doing it since I was 12 years old. It's nothing but a sinful perversion of nature, if you ask me. But, baby, I don't ever want to stop looking at tech websites, new gadgets, video games, software, or any of that stuff. Well, then I'm leaving. Okay. Bye. Pick of the Week. It is time for Pick of the Week where, uh, you know, I generally, I just I kind of I geek out and I'll talk about, uh, you know, maybe a movie, a book, uh, could even be something, you know, out of one of the other segments. I could talk about a video game even or a series or a franchise, or I could talk about a topic, uh, a whole slew of things I could talk about. 
And it's just my chance to do just that. Talk about whatever I want to talk about. And I think that's important in a podcast to have time for that. And really, if you're if you have listeners that are more interested in just like the information that you're presenting, uh, I think it's a good idea maybe to just have a segment that gives you that opportunity, which is why I set up pick of the week, uh, you know, to just be anywhere where I could talk about anything and entirely my opinion. Um, but this week I am actually going to talk about a television show. So, and I, I will get to, I, I asked this before and I got a bunch of emails about it and I will get into it in listener email at some point where I ask people, you know, look, why do you watch like, because in, in, in libertarian circles, okay. Which uh, a lot of my purview falls under. You have, it seems like there, there's like a flavor of the month show that libertarians are just crazy about. Uh, of course, it's not just libertarians. Often enough, the whole world's really into it, which is somehow probably why the libertarians heard about it. Uh, so, and it's an irony because, you know, a lot of people think of, of libertarians as counterculture when really when it comes to TV, it seems like a lot of them aren't. Uh, and so you have... Uh, you know, I mean, and a great show is a great show, you know, th th I'm not I don't mean to insult anybody. But anyway, you have like I, I asked, you know, why do people watch Dexter? Why do people watch Breaking Bad? Uh, I already know the answer to Game of Thrones. I'm not even going to go into that. And that will never be pick of the week um, just because I I I get it. I watched a couple seasons, you know, but I, I just and there were some hot moments in it. Uh, but, you know, at the same time, Game of Thrones is a big deal. Spartacus was out there. And Spartacus is just far and away, in my opinion, again, value subjective, uh, is far and away a superior show. I mean, like they don't even they're, they're not even comparable, like one's on just a whole other level. Um, and a show, though, that I really like that I never I never hear anybody talk about in my again, in my libertarian circle purview is Da Vinci's Demons. OK, and now I've said in the past that I don't really like it. And it's very, very rare when people try and find like they use entertainment to somehow, uh, you know, somehow bolster their beliefs. OK, like I hear a lot of people like Battlestar Galactica and they say, oh, yeah, you know, it's a very liberty minded show, blah, blah, blah. Uh, I don't see that at all. I, I think it's, you know, not it's not a, a, a liberty minded show, you know, by a stretch uh, or people say, oh, House of Cards is so great. It's showing the, uh, you know, the, the the craziness of government. So it's a very liberty minded show. Uh, yeah, no, I, I don't think so. Um, and I'm not going to claim that Da Vinci's Demons is a liberty minded show. Now, I might have done Da Vinci's Demons in the past. Uh, you know, for a pick of the week. And if I did, I apologize, but they just started their second season. And so I want to talk about it again while it's fresh, while it's out there, while you can catch it and you, maybe you can watch it along with me and you can get in touch with me and say, Hey, wow. Yeah. I really like this Da Vinci's Demons show. Okay. Uh, and I, I think it's fantastic. It's again, it's being put on by stars. Uh, what are the great things about it out of the gate? Well, it deals in a time frame that I really appreciate, which is Renaissance Italy. This in particular is taking place in like the 15th century in Florence. Um, and it talks a lot about some really like, cause you're at that time where humanity was starting Renaissance Italy, where, you know, humanity was starting to really think about, okay, you know, they, they were, they were starting to think about, you know, luxury and economics and, uh, you know, scientific theory and questioning the church and, you know, all, all this really impressive stuff. 
was happening in 15th century Florence. Uh, and of course, this has to do with Leonardo da Vinci, who uh, a lot of people, I think, would say, you know, this guy is way ahead of his time. And so it gives you an interesting outlook on on all of what's happening at the time. And it's heavily fictionalized. I mean, I don't think da Vinci had anywhere near as, as an exciting life as da Vinci's demons would portray. But it's a lot of fun. And of course, obligatory, there's tons of sex in it. I mean, just tons. Uh, and, and I really, really like that. And it's totally open about homosexuality, just like Spartacus was, um, as to where other shows like Game of Thrones, you know, treat it as some kind of big deal if they even bother with it. It's also, you know, damned heteronormative. Um, so, you know, I, I really I like it for for that. Obviously, that that's kind of a key thing. If I'm going to watch a show, uh, unless it's like Babylon 5 or Blake 7, I, I want it to, to have a pretty full spectrum uh, you know, of what humans do. And that means, you know, I, I, I want to see some sex in it, at least some, you know, at least admit that characters do that. Uh, you know, one of the things I loved about Babylon five is that characters go to the bathroom and, uh, Babylon five had its share of sex too, actually not, not explicit, but it definitely lets you know what was going on. In fact, there was even a part where captain Sheridan goes, woohoo, when he's in bed with, uh, with the Len, which I thought was fabulous. So anyway, Da Vinci's demons, uh, it really, it has it all for, in my opinion, for what I want out of a show. Uh, and it raises, it brings to mind a lot of really, really interesting things that, uh, you know, there, there's, it, it's, it's this battle between two cults and I'm not really giving anything away. And the two cults are one is of course the Catholic church. Uh, the other cult is what's called the sons of Mithras. And if you don't know about Mithras, this is a really interesting thing to go to Wikipedia and read about. Um, I don't know any really great book that talks about Mithras, uh, but, um, you know, the Mithraic cult was, was kind of a big deal in Rome. Um, and of course, Renaissance Italy, a lot of what made Renaissance Italy, what it, what, what it was, was revisiting the time when, you know, when Rome ruled and when Rome was doing all the innovation, that's part of what brought on the Renaissance. And so you're getting a lot of that. And there's this, just this really fascinating stuff and a lot of historical, uh, quandaries and questions get brought up during this show that uh, I'm a big fan of and that, or, um, that I'm a bit of a dilettante in, in, in researching. There's even mention of the, the Nephilim in, in Da Vinci's Demons. Uh, there's, you know, mentions of, of all this wild stuff. And so it's all about Da Vinci. You know, he's, he ends up kind of working for the, uh, the Sons of Mithras, but eventually he sort of starts to work for himself. Uh, and you're definitely getting that sense in the second season uh, and, and there's a lot of politics and I love it when, when a show talks about the Medici's in Florence, I love it when a show talks about Florence in that time frame from like the 13th, 15th, 16th century, because Florence was, you know, it, it, it was the free state project of its day. It really bucked the system in every single way. It, yes, to some degree, it paid fealty to the church, but it didn't take orders from the Pope. And this show really, you know, really lays that out. Of course, Medici's, some Medici's later on would uh, not in the show, of course, but in real history would become popes themselves. Uh, you know, so that's unfortunate. But but, you know, Florence at the time was really counterculture and really on the edge. And they, you know, they definitely did not like the rules. And that's the other cool thing about Da Vinci, about Leonardo Da Vinci in this show is you get that real like, look, no, you know, I'm going to push humanity forward. Uh, no, this idea, this traditionalism has to go away. No conventionalism's ridiculous. All this stuff. It's fantastic. Just a great, great attitude from the show that you don't get in a whole lot of places, whether it's historically accurate or not. 
So I really enjoy that. Uh, and tremendous action that, you know, they make, they make the show a lot of fun with, with a lot of the action, lots of intrigue. Okay. So again, it's another show that I consider to be, you know, leaps and bounds ahead of game of Thrones. Uh, yet it delivers all the content that everybody keeps telling me is so great about game of Thrones. Uh, so, you know, check it out. Uh, stars is really, they're, they're doing, uh, you know, really good shows. There was a show, uh, uh black sales that they're also making. Um, which, you know, some degree of sex in that I, I watch black sales and some, I guess I'm kind of doing a double header here. Uh, I watched black sales and it was good. That's a show about pirates and that definitely has quite a few Liberty oriented themes in it. Uh, you know, at least in the first episode. Um, and I, you know, it, it didn't, it kind of dragged on maybe the second season will pick up a bit, but I wasn't that impressed when I got to the end of black sales, I really wasn't that impressed with it. Uh, and I really, you know, after I saw it, I kind of wished that, uh, stars has been coming out with the best shows in a long time. I mean, like the best shows in 20 years, they, they're really the ones that are innovating. And they had a show recently too, called Camelot, uh, that had, uh, uh Joseph Fiennes in it. And it had, uh, Eva Green, uh, the, the, the stunning Eva Green. Um, and that show was great. And that only went one season. Black Sails already has the second season lined up. I'm glad Da Vinci's Demons has a second season, and I hope it goes on for much longer, uh, you know, in, in his quest for the Book of Leaves. And that's all I'm going to say about that. I want you to, you know, go ahead and I don't want to give any spoilers away since it's a show that's uh, still running. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I think <laughs> I think stars kind of like misplaced their money to some degree because uh, I, I didn't feel that Black Sails was really delivering the goods. I mean, like first couple episodes are pretty good. There's some good stuff there. I'm not saying it's a terrible show, but not, I would have much rather had let Camelot go on because Camelot was an awesome, awesome show. It's only had one season. If you haven't seen that, please download it, check it out or pay for it, whatever. Uh, or, you know, ask stars, Hey, could you please make another season of this? Not that they would, it's been years since, since that came out. Uh, I mean, it's been quite a few years since Camelot came out. Um, so, you know, check out these shows on stars in general, because they're doing things. Uh, I still think a lot better than really any other network out there, uh, is pulling them off. And Da Vinci's demons is really the, 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 the highlight of that. Uh, of course, star, you know, Spartacus, which was a star show. That's the real highlight. I mean, that, that took, that's the only show that's really come close in recent memory to, you know, matching up in my mind with shows like Highlander, uh, you know, Blake seven and Babylon five. That's the only one that that's even like chinked at that, the armor of, of those television series. Uh, so, you know, check out what stars is doing. Um, stars doesn't unfortunately have anything necessarily like HBO go. So this is definitely one of those areas where, look, if you're not paying for stars, you know, download it. And that's okay because, uh, studios have already admitted and networks have admitted that they're looking at torrent numbers to gauge the popularity of the show as much as anything else. So even torrenting alone can send that message. Like I said, you want to give value downloading Da Vinci's demons alone. Even if you're not paying for stars can send the message to the networks, keep making this show. Okay. So again, nothing wrong with pirating, nothing wrong with it at all. All right. Uh, so do, you know, do check that out because again, and, and watch, check out Da Vinci's demons. I, I'm pretty sure you won't be disappointed. 
it's got everything I think that anybody could, could want in a television show. You know, it has the intrigue. Uh, it has the sex. It has, uh, you know, a lot of the, the historical mysteries that I think, you know, can keep one really engaged. Uh, it has, you know, the, the tremendous action. Uh, Bear McCreary is actually doing the score for it. The opening theme for, uh, you know, for Da Vinci's Demons is phenomenal. But boy, will somebody give Bear McCreary a hand? Well, somebody let that guy relax. He's scoring pretty much everything on television now, it seems. Uh, and, and he's great at it. He, the first time I ever heard him is he did the score for Battlestar Galactica, the new version, which the score I thought was great. Show rubbish, but the, the, you know, the score itself was, was phenomenal. And, uh, you know, but how does this guy keep coming up with great, uh, such great music, but he's doing it. You'll love the Da Vinci's Demons theme alone. Believe me, it's worth checking out even for that. Just really kind of nice classic violin. Uh, or maybe it's cello. I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> uh, thank you so much for listening. Don't forget episode 69 is coming out next week, but I'm going to be at some Bitcoin conferences along with the lovely and hyper intelligent Dr. Stephanie Murphy. Carpe Lucem. And if you enjoy the show, of course, Sovertech.com, please don't hesitate to donate. I take all kinds of cryptocurrency and PayPal. See you next this week. This has been Sovereign Tech. Visit us at SovereignTech.com. That's S-O-V-R-Y-N tech.com. There you can connect with us, see more of what you've heard on today's show, and catch our podcast feed. Sovereign Tech is open source. We encourage you to share. Later, nerds.